0: Welcome to the Multipurpose Room,
1: a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. We are wired to love to play games. Think back to infancy. You likely... Don't remember your first game, but I can bet that someone played peekaboo with you at a very early age. As parents, we even turn feeding time into games, whether it's Cheerio counting or airplanes into the mouth. As we grow up, games are present on the playground, in classes, and most certainly in extracurricular activities. It's no wonder that as adults, we continue on with adult game nights and fantasy football. As PTA or PTO leaders, or even as teachers, we love to engage our students and communities with various types of learning games and social games. I think we love these types of activities because at our core, we are social beings who crave interaction, and the games provide a perfect setting for that engagement and interaction. Well, when the whole pandemic hit, these social beings had to get a little less in-person and we had to reinvent how we were gaming in many ways. But we still found opportunities to bring games into the center of our social interactions. I know that for myself and Wes over the last year, one of the ways that we've had a good time with games is by doing some scavenger hunts. And so we are super excited to have guests on our show today from a company called Goose Chase that focuses on scavenger hunts and partners with a lot of PTAs, PTOs, and schools to share those scavenger hunts with students and communities alike. Joe and Eric, thanks so much for joining us here today. We're excited to have you. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about your background?
2: Hey, Deborah. Hey there, Wes. Very happy and excited to be on the pod and and chatting a bit about Goose Chase and uh, just ways people can have some fun using the platform, but absolutely to to kick it off and and get started. A bit about my uh, background personally. My name is Joe Denemy. I'm on the, the sales team here at Goose Chase. And I'm actually friends with a couple of the founders that found like Goose Chase back over ten years ago in university. So I've been, you know, aware of Goose Chase for a long time. You know, really following um, the trajectory of, of the company and how they started getting into all different kinds of events and and uh, types of groups that we work with. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to come on board uh, just a little over a year ago. So I'm really responsible for the education side of our business. I talk a lot with uh, K twelve teachers, principals. STEM coordinators, higher ed universities and colleges as well, just helping them create some some really fun ideas for their events. Uh, you know, help their students learn and, and have some fun on campus or, or together. Uh, and I'm really targeted around uh, making sure that uh, we're helping those groups as much as we can create some amazing and special events that uh, that showcase their creativity and have some fun. So that's the main uh, you know part of what I'm responsible for here at Goose Chase. And Eric is our head of marketing, who I'll throw it to you now, who has a lot of great um, insight into some of uh, our customer stories.
3: As Joe mentioned, I'm the head of marketing at Goose Chase. I started about two or up to almost three years now. I was working in marketing down in Nicaragua at a travel company where I actually met the founder and CEO of Goose Chase, Andrew, who came by and actually ran a Goose Chase. And that was when we started talking about the... That's when we started talking about the platform. I had some suggestions for out after the game, and we just started talking about, you know, I, I was looking for sort of a career change at that point. He needed a marketing guy, so I got on, and it sort of just, everything meshed with a bit of my past experience. I was, uh, I think it started all the way back in college. I was uh, back in Alberta, Canada, where I'm from. We called it a residence assistant. Uh, I think Joe over in Ontario, you guys call it, call it like a Don, or uh, I'm not sure what it is in the state, but basically like, you know, the guy who... And the residents would be uh, helping helping students uh, move in, helping students with uh, anything they need, and but as well as organizing scam of events like this. Back in the dark ages, but before we had Q3 so we were doing it on paper. So that's where I think uh, I brought I initially kind of brought on some experience to help out with that. And now I'm I take care of basically all our written content, everything you see on the blog, our FAQ. Uh, once you dig into the platform, and helping out with our um, product side as well. Basically, just to make sure that people can arrive at the platform and they would, for one, know what to do, and they would have, they are filled with great ideas for where they can take this scavenger
1: Well, welcome to both of you. And, you know, having worked with both of you over the last few months, uh, I can tell that your background will be very valuable to our listeners, both in terms of your interactions with the K through 12 space, but also just generally around scavenger hunts. Um, You know, Eric, you mentioned the the old days where everything was in paper. And I imagine that there was a light bulb moment where somebody said, there's got to be an app for that. And then there wasn't, and so that's probably how the company was created. But that's just my idea. <laughs> Tell us a little more, maybe Eric. You can start with how was the the company founded?
3: Yeah, it's uh, and that's that's actually it's it's great you mentioned that the book because that's actually how how we discover how a lot of clients reach just right now. Right, they're thinking, hey, I want to run a scavenger hunt. I've got this piece of paper and a pen. It was actually started out of the, while well, Andrew, our CEO and founder, he was still a student at the University of Waterloo. He was running this company just basically out of the dorm room. And it was the same thing, same thing I mentioned, back, running, uh, helping Dons and helping RAs run residence events. That was kind of where the idea first got started. But um, Waterloo is sort of known as a startup hub in, in Canada. So as the idea kind of gained traction, we he started seeing, you know, companies start wanting to use Chase for team building. In that way, and... To be honest, that we are the way that we discover use of our platform kind of has stayed constant in that we we don't really try that hard to aim at you know a segment of the market. We we sort of discover it as as clients use our platform to adapt to a new to a new use case, and if that use case is successful, we start seeing ways to scale it. That's when we'll start putting it on you know all the material on the website and start trying to help you know help out additional clients in that way. And and EDU started sort of the same way again this is before my time so uh andrew might my comments in on the podcast at the end is like okay eric you got all wrong but this is uh this is as much as i piece it together um edu sort of started the same way and it was it involved somebody to really just take it all the way through um our ceo at the time phil everson was um his sister is actually a teacher and uh he was very interested in taking this use case you know for, for him it was all about getting students out of seats and he really kind of built the education segment of the business from the ground up from, you know, the alterations that they had to do the platform to make it usable for teachers, the pricing structure that we had to shift around. And he's like, he was the guy that was like, you know, on the ground at conferences, to be honest, like if, if any of your listeners have heard of goose chase before, before this podcast, they probably interacted with film. So in some way, and not to mention like he would actually code some of the stuff on the platform as well. And so a lot of the education Segment of the business is built on systems that he put in place. I, I will mention that Phil unfortunately was taken away from us at a young age. Um, he passed away at the end of last year. But you know, we we try to keep it going and and a lot of the business is, you know, like we'll find customers that come up for renewal and we're like, okay, who is this person? And like, oh I right. still signed them like four years ago and they're still going with us, right? So for us, you know, as we said, it's we it started with that initial kick of like teachers. Discovering, all right, well, yeah, these, this is a cool app. I can use like, in the classroom, and then Phil really championed this use case and built it into one of our largest market segments right now.
1: Sorry to to hear about Phil, and you know, it's it's great that he his idea gets to live on and is such a fabric of the organization.
2: Absolutely, and, and yeah, Debora, it's, it's you know, working with teachers every day. Phil is the you know was the most passionate about. To Aaron's point, getting students out, up out of their seats and learning and, and giving them those incredible um, learning opportunities and, and fun in the classroom and, and making the classroom fun was, you know, one of his passions. So, you know, we build the platform and, and offer it up and try to help teachers do that every day. So it's great that, um, you know, the teachers are some of the most passionate people that we, we speak with every day. Uh, and so was Phil. So it was, it was a great connection from the start that we try to you know continue that in a great way for them.
0: And for schools who decide to use the platform, can you tell us a little bit about how games go? Like how do they log in and set up, the types of questions that schools typically use, and maybe even some tips that they use during play?
2: For sure, and schools use us in, in so many different ways. Like I mentioned, there's obviously that in-class learning component, um, You know, building really fun events around science, science-based games, math-based games, art-based games. You know, We have a lot of schools that will use this for teacher training, Onboarding, professional development, uh, and fundraising as well. So really, the way we build the platform west is giving you know teachers and, and educators and whoever might be using it the opportunity to you know completely customize their game to, to meet their goals and to meet their event needs. So you know to answer your questions about how that works, uh, really you're able to log on to our website goosechase.com, start building your own custom event. So that could be you know a traditional scavenger hunt where you're going and finding items. It could also be just something that's looking to engage people, you know, create a sense of community, get some fun content, photos and videos generated. So the way it works is you go onto our website, start building your own custom game. Uh, We also have a number of missions, which are the tasks that players have to complete within the game that are already pre-built. So they can choose from missions that we've already created, do something completely custom. uh, With our educator accounts as well, we do have something called our EDU game library which are pre-built games that teachers have actually built, used in their classrooms already, and have now given us access to share with our educator network. So in terms of getting you'll log in and logged in and set up, it's pretty easy and simple to do, uh, and a really fun experience as well. So you can do something completely custom, use what we've built, and get started there. In terms of the way the gameplay will then work, players will download our mobile app on their uh, iOS or Android device and then they can join the game as either an individual or a team. So a lot of games that are being run right now with with schools or different groups, they're having it be an individual-based game in the sense that players will all complete as a team of one, uh, submit permissions, earn points, or there's the option to have them play as a team, even remotely. So you can have people play on a team, download the app to their own device, but then still be playing remotely and and essentially tag teams, what that looks like. So it's great for remote events, uh, you feel like you're connecting with classmates or, or teammates, even though you're not, you know, unfortunately right now able to be physically together. So, you know, that's kind of the overview of of what the game process would look like, and then types of questions. Wes, as well, uh, we have four different mission types that you can create within the game. They can be photo based missions, video based missions, uh, text based missions, or GPS check in missions. So, within that framework, again, really the your creativity is the limit on the types of issues.
1: That's a great overview, and I can attest to the fact that it's pretty easy to get in and set up because I have actually been an admin on a game before, as you both know, and uh, it is very straightforward. The game library that Joe mentioned is very useful to find not only specific questions to use, but also just ideas of ways to frame questions. Um, and so I wanted to get into some of the use cases in a little more detail for our listeners who are really looking to for those practical tips to really start up a game uh, tomorrow or the next day. How do they do that? So let's start, you mentioned a teacher in a classroom. Let's say they're doing a year in review. Maybe they're at the midway point in their school year, as is the case right now, and they want to see what their students have learned in 2020 and what has stuck with them, what they need to spend more time on for the rest of the year. The teacher would log in, and then what kinds of questions would you recommend for this type of a use case?
2: For sure. It's a great question. And and I think, you know, overarching what I would always recommend in terms of types of questions and missions are anything to make it fun, right? Anything to bring that subject matter to life. So in this specific use case that you mentioned, you know, it's just kind of a a mid-year review, you know, trying to do a bit of a refresher, but it can still be fun. So, you know, in this case, the types of questions that I might recommend would be, you know, things that kind of bring back those topics or subjects that have already been discussed, but use some you know, real life engagement examples to make that information um, and that knowledge stick a little more, right? You know, too many times the, you know, we're we're stuck, you know, reading things from a textbook. And that might not be the way that everyone learns, or that might not be the thing that um, makes that idea stick or give you, uh, you know, a passion for that idea. So it could be a situation where maybe you had a science learning module early September, early in the year, and you haven't really touched on it. since. You know, maybe it was uh, about plants and, and sunlight and how they grow. Uh, for, you know, a young group in, in a science class. So you might want to do something where you have a mission in the goose chase game where they have to find, you know, plants in their backyard or in the local trail uh, since they'll all be, you know, learning from home. Uh, and then the mission might be take a photo of this, link out to a research article that you read about it, or maybe do a little write-up in the submission as well. You know, the top three things that you learned about this type of plant or why it grows the way that it does, or why it looks the way that it does. So, you know, things that, just bring that subject matter to life. You know, it might not be something brand new that you haven't talked about before, but it's just approaching it in a different way. Uh, and especially talking with teachers every day, like I do, you know, they're they're looking for that um, new way to get that information across to kids, right? No one learns the same way. Um, you know, they might have done the textbook or the Zoom meetings probably at this point throughout the year, pretty pretty frequently. So this is a great way just to mix it up, have some fun.
1: I love those suggestions. I also, as we were preparing for this podcast, was thinking about, you know, the geolocation tool and how, especially if you're learning about local history, you could do some check-ins on, you know, historical places, whether it's town hall or whatever the case may be, but it's something that you can do in a distanced format, but leverage the different types of questions that, that you guys have. So I, I really liked your examples, though, of the photos outside or videos. What about doing a single subject? You mentioned science, you know, do, do you see teachers doing science only or do you see them doing a number of different subjects in one kind of omnibus scavenger hunt?
2: It's a great question. And and I see both, right? And, and it's really about the creativity of the teacher. Oftentimes it's subject based. So it would be a single subject. That could be a specific component of that subject. So maybe it's not, um, you know, the science semester as a whole, but it might be specific about Plants, or it might be uh, more of a biology component. Maybe it's something that's more related to chemistry. So you can have those quick games that might last a couple of weeks while you're going through that, that content to you know, hammer home the, the knowledge that they're trying to get out there and also make it fun and, and unique and a little different every time. Uh, we also have teachers that use one Goose Chase game that lasts the full year for specific subjects. So they might release new missions into the Goose Chase game based on what the subjects they're going to be touching on Um, that week are, or or the specific pieces that they're touching on that week are. so really the again the way we build the platform or the way that Andrew and our great product team has built the platform is to make it flexible for you to think about as a teacher or whoever will be building the game you know what's the best best format what's the best experience for me uh, and customize it to you know get to those goals of of what you're trying to do with it so there's no one right way to do it at all. Uh, with the exception of make sure it's you know it's fun and engaging for, for the kids that are playing.
0: And you mentioned that teachers have flexibility of when they leave the game open for. How long do you typically see them participating in these games? How is it usually a month? Is it usually a semester? What is kind of the average that you've been seeing?
2: Yeah, great question. And usually with teachers in class, it's about a couple of weeks. So I would say most teachers use it for uh, you know that stretch of time where they're going to be talking about specific subjects. So It is a great opportunity to create a game that is relative to the content that you're going to be discussing in class. uh, And it's a great way to mix it up, again, throughout the year. So that is what I would say we see a lot of. uh, But at the same time, we might have teachers that do uh, a one-hour pop quiz in Goose Chase form that that is really fun, that doesn't feel like a test, but is, is, again, getting um, across the information that they need to get across. and, And kids don't even think they're learning. They think they're just having fun. So there's no one right way to do it. Uh, there are some best practices, you know, regardless of the length of time that the game would be lasting, you know, having different types of missions uh, in terms of the mission types that I discussed, having different mission difficulties as well. So some that are nice and easy to complete if the kids are you know, at home on their couch, you know, some that they might need to travel to uh, a historical location to borrow, like you mentioned. So there's uh, you know, some things that I would definitely recommend for the group uh, in terms of that. But again, you can have some games that last an hour that are fast-paced, lightning round type games, which are really exciting, and then some more sustained learning games throughout the year. So it's all about testing it out with the platform uh, and your kids having fun and then finding out what the right fit would be for you in your class.
1: So I wanted to pull on a thread that you just let dangle there, which is there are some best practices for creating engaging games and types of questions. How many of each type of question to create an engaging game?
2: For sure. And uh, Eric, jump in. Eric's the, the guy that, you know, writes all of our best practice articles and he, he's got a lot of great information in terms of what, what I would say about the the number of, of missions that you would have within the game. Really what I would always say is have more than you think they can complete in the allotted time. If it's a pure engagement game, uh, and that does a couple of things. So one, it gives, you know, something for everyone. You know, there might be some students that are extroverted and, and are really excited about you know, posting a video of themselves. There might be some that are more introverted. Um, you know, there might be some that are close by to those uh, locations in town and, and be easy to get to. There might be some that live outside the city that might be a little tougher. So having enough missions in the game uh, provides something for everyone, really allows them to play the game in a way that is fun and adds value for them. At the same time, uh, as a part of use case we always have our live leaderboard in the game. So when students complete missions, they'll earn points. Uh, towards their score or their team score on the leaderboard. And that's always a fun little bit of competition, friendly competition in the game. So with more missions than they can complete in the allotted time frame for the game, that's going to create some natural separation on the leaderboard. You're not going to have every team tie in the first place. And then at the end of the day as well, if they're having a great time, you don't want them to run out of things to do. Right? If they want to keep playing and learning, that's uh, a, a huge uh, opportunity and a huge positive. So we want to give them the options to do that. But Eric, jump in if you have any yeah. uh, thoughts uh, on a non-educational uh, basis.
3: I'll add in that. I mean, of course, like this preface all of this with, it depends on your use case, right? We have
2: teachers who def-
3: use just for, like let's say, the text missions to essentially use that as a quiz platform. A little boring in my mind. But, you know, if, if we're talking about a game where you really want to get everyone engaged, get everyone up out of the seats, get everyone involved in active learning, a variety of what I'd suggest, right? You want stuff where they are out are they were creating a 10 second video where they're they're pitching you they're pitching you an idea they have for let's say this is an this is an economics class and they're learning about a new business idea and you know you can have a little moth dragon's den interview it's something like for someone in a younger grade and you want them to get outside and find you an example of a deciduous leaf versus a coniferous leaf something like that um basically like the difference from this from goose chase and being something a quiz a pen and paper quiz is that GooseChase encourages people to go out and move around and be active. And our go-to line is always uh, get people up and out of their seats. And I'm sure there's a lot of students right now stuck on the computer. They can now take their learning in a mobile way and go out and explore the world around them in addition to to learning about the subject matter. Something I'll add, too, is that Joe touched on the leaderboard, and as much as GooseChase is about uh, taking your phone out and finding and submitting the submission, there's also a community aspect to it with each submission that gets submitted gets added to the activity feed. So as other students are seeing what you're at, what you're putting on, they're getting ideas how they want to creatively solve the challenges. As Joe mentioned, like there's always difference of extroverted or introverted people. The introverted people might be seeing the footage come up and now they're encouraged like, okay, wow, somebody has gone out and made this great video. I can do this too, right? That's typically an underrated feature uh, that I, I found, but uh, being able to really craft commissions missions around um, getting visual activity going on so that people are, everybody watching it get, kind of gets, gets an experience out of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. The leaderboard and kids being able to see what other kids are doing. So inspiring ideas, but also inspiring some competition. And then the teacher right. being able to comment, right? So the teacher can take a look and say, thank you for your submission or others can comment on each other's submissions so you know creative idea and frankly you could create submissions that you get allotted some points for commenting on others submissions thereby really fueling that engagement and getting classmates to lift each other up and you really get a great outcome so you've got that competition but also that collaboration and partnership and engagement which i love about
2: the platform absolutely and and to eric's point you know that sets community. The uh, you know the energy that is created within the game is, is part of what makes it um, you know special and and different. So to your point, uh, the game organizers themselves can comment on player submissions as they come through. Um, they can add in bonus points as well for for teams and players going above and beyond. So you know if you ask just for a simple video of yourself in quarantine juggling toilet paper and singing a song, you know that's a remote mission that we've had some people have some fun with. Um, you know you might want to add some bonus points if they really went above and beyond and included their family or, you know, brought in some of their friends. So there's a lot of ways that you as the game organizer, whether you're a teacher or whatever your role is, can help to foster that energy and excitement within the game. In terms of your earlier point as well, Deborah, so with players right now, they're only able to like other submissions within the game. They're not able to comment on other submissions just yet. We're looking at potentially adding in that functionality, but we've had Groups do some really cool things as well, where the like feature essentially becomes uploaded in the games itself. So we would have, you know, some classes that did, you know, a Halloween costume contest in the Goose Chase game, uh, you know, and the most liked submission for the costume would win a prize. So there's some fun ways that you can encourage that engagement and that interaction between players and teams within the the
0: game. Joe, you previously mentioned quizzes. This is much cooler than any quiz I ever received in school. Do you find that teachers are grading missions or are they just reviewing material?
2: Yeah, it's a bit of both. So we have some that are really just using it to bring you know, the subject matter to life. We have some that are using it as, uh, like Eric said, if they're, if they're a component of text-based missions, they might be using that towards their ultimate marks. It might be participation marks, whether it's in K-12 or higher ed. So if you do you know, take the time to play the game perhaps outside of school hours, you might get some bonus marks or participation marks. So really, it's up to, to the teachers themselves to figure out what the best way to incent kids to do it is. And what we've seen as well, you know, it is, number one, fun and, and entertaining and educational. So it doesn't necessarily need to be something where it's going to be specifically marked or this game is specifically going to contribute to your grade. It's just a way to build off of what everyone is learning about when that's potential test does happen. They're excited about the material. They probably learn more than they would have just reading it in a textbook. And then that's gonna translate as well to, you know, a better grade for them actually when uh, when the time
3: comes I'll add on to that and just pop back a little bit to best practices here. And I'll I'll say that, you know, adding things like adding bonus points and adding a comment for, you know, why it's awarded, it's a huge component to uh, getting engagement in the game from the organizers, so I, I highly encourage teachers to you know when they're when they're running don't just don't just create your missions and let it run like definitely like interact with students especially if you're doing this remotely. For each bonus point you award and uh, every comment you add, they actually get a notification on their phone. So you know they they kind of get this even if you're remote and distance they kind of get this feeling that you know okay somebody is looking at this you know I'm getting I'm getting praise for what I created and that just snowballs into getting everybody you know more into it they they're more uh, the more involved and they want to you know keep creating great footage for the game. And that, that goes back to activity feed, the, the other students are seeing it, and then now everybody's more engaged and energized.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of getting people engaged, another use case you mentioned was the getting to know each other use case, which you, know, you described at university when you first move into a dorm, but also in the school element for sports teams, for example, or a new class these are different types of questions. If you think about the use case we were just talking about, those were facts. You could look them up. You could go out and take a picture of the plant. Getting to know each other, you don't know the other people, so you may not have those facts readily available. How are the questions different? And when do you recommend teams use this getting to know each other activity? At what point in the year?
2: No, it's a a great question. And and in terms of you know when to use it it's really you know any time throughout the season or or the school year anytime where you think you need to to foster that connection with with the players or the students so you know as a sports team as an example to Eric's point building missions that encourage some of that great content to to start flowing within the activity feed. So if this is a new grade nine sports team you may not know people, you may have gone to different grade schools, maybe you're posting a video introducing yourself, what do you if it's a hawking team what are you like as a hockey player? What do you bring to the team in a quick 15-second video, right? If it's something more personal, you know, take a pic of, of yourself with your, you know, training set up in your basement if you have, you know, a net and some sticks and some pucks down there. So ways that you can kind of have some fun, encourage everyone to work towards that common team goal, whether it's practice, whether it's um, meshing as a team. But having that kind of done through the activity is a really powerful way to encourage that positive connection even though they might be remote right now as well. So in terms of different things that we've seen sports teams do, definitely those, you know, early season get-to-know you type of events right now during quarantine as well, we've seen a lot of sports teams do health and wellness focused games themselves. You know, gyms are probably shut down, maybe they're not able to practice right now. So they've had missions that are targeted around teaching them exercises they can do in a small space in their home, uh, that they don't need you know, ice or a field or a pitch uh, to do. So kind of using the game to, in a positive way, create that group think where you're still working towards your goals, uh, whether it's exercising, whether it's working on certain skills, uh, and kind of not losing that time that otherwise could be doing something else that's not as productive. So a lot of different things that you can do, but really just great to uh, you know, build that engagement in the game and get everyone working towards the same goal depending on what that is for
1: you. That makes a lot of sense. So hitting the last use case that I wanted to make sure we talked about for our listeners is where PTAs or PTOs are using this to fundraise, and maybe they're having trouble envisioning, how do you make money on these games? You know, charging a admission fee if you will a user fee makes a lot of sense that's pretty straightforward but you guys have some creative ideas for other ways to fundraise around these games so i'd love to hear a little more about that
3: i can take this one joe um so uh, one of the biggest ways that um for fundraisers that we've, uh, we've seen is that you can actually reach out to your local community local businesses cafes obviously this is not the perfect time for that but you would be able to reach out to local businesses, restaurants, cafes, any local stores. If it's let's say a hockey team, you can reach out to the local uh, hockey shop, and you can actually get them to sponsor your game. So now this does two things. This gets you know I'm I'm fully marketing mode right now, so I'll I'll I'll, try, I'll just uh, see see how well I can adapt this to the audience. But what this does is, is it exposes the the sponsors to an audience who are playing the game, but at the same time the prizes uh, incentivize the players to really to really go go all out and justifies kind of the, the fee that they would pay for the game. And you're able to take a portion of that and use it for fundraising and put that towards some of that towards pricing and some of that towards um towards donating to a, carrier, to a cause of your choice.
0: And I'm sure you guys have seen thousands of games played. So out of all of the games that you've seen in your history of working with Goose Chase, What is your favorite question?
2: It's a great question. It's a tough question because we've seen so many different types of groups that have used this before uh, in all different types of industries, schools, uh, use cases. So uh, we've seen so many fun things throughout my my time here at Goose Chase anyway. In terms of a K-12 school, something that was really cool that I saw towards the end of last year was actually using Goose Chase as uh, a virtual yearbook or virtual graduation type event. So obviously, and unfortunately, at the end of last year, some schools had to close. You know, the senior class didn't get the opportunity to have a prom. So we had a lot of schools that were having missions that focused on people sharing memories, you know, posting ph- photos of them in their prom dress that they would have worn, uh, you know, having them put their grad quote in a text-based mission in the game itself. So It was a really fun way to uh, make the best out of a, a tough situation, but still have that communal uh, experience in the game itself, uh, have people connect and and kind of celebrate the time that they did spend at school. So that was something that was really great to see. And then we have all the types of games. Uh, We have a really cool international skateboard game that's happening right now. Uh, And one of the missions is go down on your board and flap your wings like the goose and and honk while you're doing it. So, you know, Selfishly for Goose Chase, that's something really, really cool that's that's going on right now. That, uh, again, just shows the type of fun that you can have with, with
1: an event. That you're doing. Eric, I hope you're doing some marketing around that.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I will I will have all that video
3: footage. <laughs> well, I'll add to that. And Some of the best missions I've come up, you know, as you guys can tell, the, with the pandemic last year, a lot of our business has changed to remote. And we've been talking about video and photo with the platform a, a ton. But to be honest, like uh, when the pandemic first hit and we were all kind of, we're a remote company, and we were all, you know, shut in all wondering what's going to happen we ran a bit of a community game and some of the best missions i saw come out of that game were honestly not even photo or video missions they were just tech missions and we would ask people things like what are three things you're happy for today that are going to happen today uh what is the cool recipe that you're gonna cook and that you can share with anybody so that's and, you know, I think that's my last kind of best practice tip here, especially for remote games. Is I don't underestimate how powerful you know the written word can be with these text missions. You're allowed to, when you create a text mission, you are allowed to set the answer to accept everything and have it just show. So, again, we're talking about this whole community aspect. When people see that on, pop up on the activity feed, it it can be way more powerful than some of the best photo and photo or, or video missions you see.
1: Love that, and one of the ways that our school is actually using Goose Chase right now is for a kindness challenge so January is kindness month at our elementary school and there is a kindness scavenger hunt each family signs up as a team and you know all the teams are competing against each other so of course my competitive nature has kicked in and I got this guy over here Wes to download or to join the game we already had the app to join the game and immediately participate because there was another family in the lead but (laughs) now it's all missions focused on kindness for the whole month. And I just thought that that was such a great way to, to your point, kind of stay positive, stay engaged, and really focus on the good in this world and being kind to each other, which is something that's so necessary right now.
2: No, that's, that's so, that's so cool. And uh, yeah, we have, you know, those kindness games that are going on. We have a lot of other games that are uh, dedicated to, you know, a service mentality. So helping, you know, the community, every mission is, is aimed at you know having people volunteer or support you know those in need. Uh, we have games that are focusing on sharing stories and encouraging uh, you know mental health. So there's a lot of really powerful things. Eric's point that Eric at. Uh, a tech-based mission can really allow people to share but do do some good and have a great impact uh, with everyone that's playing. With.
0: And any final tips for a school that's looking to start a scavenger hunt?
2: for me, you know, just have fun. First and foremost, right? We, we talked about a lot of different ways that, you know, you can use it. We could, we could talk at length about those, but it all starts with just having some fun, you know, trying to create a, a, a great event uh, and game for the right reasons for your students or your colleagues or the families. Uh, so as long as it starts with that, you know, that's, that's a great starting point. Um, and then just, you know, get in there. You can create a free account with up to five teams if you're a teacher within our platform. So it's a great way just to you know, test it out, see if it will be you know a fit for you, and then go from there. As you build more games, you get comfortable with it. You'll you'll think about all the different ways that uh, it might be a fit for you know your classroom. So have some fun with it, test it out, and uh, you can't uh, uh, and until you start trying it, you can't really see you know how much it could work for you for sure.
3: Yeah, the tip I'll, I'll kind of reiterate right here is to always add more missions than you think people are going to put in, especially if you get the teachers to offer up a prize for students. And there's that competitive nature introduced, you think it's like, man, nobody's going to complete this whole list. Somebody always goes and completes the whole thing and then starts messaging you for more missions. So always add in more content than you think that people are going to be able to complete.
0: Yeah, and that person would be Deborah. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say that
1: person would be me, so he knows me well. (laughs) Well, Eric and Joe, it's been a pleasure having you here today. Uh, I think some of the key takeaways, varying your type of missions, creating bonus point missions, creating more missions than you think people will go through. Don't underestimate the power of text missions, use the mission library, and most importantly, have fun. It's been a pleasure having you both. Thank you. We encourage all of our listeners to jump on and into a scavenger hunt, whether it be with your school or you're creating one yourself. They're a lot of fun. So thanks, guys, and have a great rest of your day. Make sure to visit our website
0: at themultipurposeroom.school and subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on the show, we share additional resources on our company blog at
1: k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible. And we'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room.